going to get going. This is going to be Life of Christ, lesson number four. And uh, so this evening, we are going to be talking about uh, the calling of of the Twelve Apostles and uh, going over the... um, some of these verses that give us some of the specifics of several of them. Uh, and as has been the case already in these sessions, there's some, some lessons and principles uh, that we will learn from this, not just simply uh, uh, sort of historical facts, if you will, but uh, some, some principles that can, can uh, help us as well. So Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 15 is where we are going to begin. And the scripture says, The land of Zebulon and the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I want you just to note that uh, you'll you'll hear the term kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God throughout Scripture. A couple of other examples are Mark 1.15, Luke 4.43, John 3, 3 and 5. In those places, it talks about the kingdom of God. And so, in... in, uh, The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are synonymous terms here. So just want you to understand that, kind of um, mark that away in in your subconscious there. The Jews all expected a Messiah to come. They, They expected it. They believed it. We believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, and as many of you know, the Jews do not believe that. But the bottom line is they, they expect, they were expecting and still are expecting a Messiah to come. And as a part of this, they, they expected that he would establish a kingdom that would not be defeated or would not be destroyed. So, so all of that was an, an expected thing. It was it wasn't just an expected thing, it was a longed for thing. It was something they were anticipating, something they wanted to happen. But but here's part of the challenge is that not only the Jews, but even Jesus' disciples, even, even those that were following Jesus closely struggled because they were looking for a natural kingdom to be established. They they were looking for a natural government to be set up. They, they were looking at that period of time, they were looking for freedom from the Romans. And so they are anticipating a natural kingdom, but Jesus had not come at that time for the purpose of establishing a natural kingdom. We, we find several times throughout his ministry and, and some of his interactions with the disciples that Again, even them that were closely following him still were sort of struggling with this idea of of a natural versus a spiritual kingdom. That was, in fact, part of the the deal with Peter. When when, uh, they come to take Jesus away and Peter draws his sword and he's ready to fight. And he had just told the Lord hours before that, "I'll, I'll fight to the death because 
Peter was willing to lay down his life to fight to set up a natural kingdom. But Jesus tells him in that scenario, put your sword away. And, and, and he willingly gives in because, again, he wasn't here to establish a natural kingdom. Luke 17 and verse 20 says this, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation." not what you're going to see with your physical eyes it's it's not what you're going to experience with your natural senses neither shall they say lo here or lo there for behold the kingdom of god is within you now there's coming a time according to scripture where there's going to be a literal ruling and reigning but that wasn't the time then and we're still not in that time and and, and one of the lessons, as I said a few moments ago, this is not just historical facts about the disciples and them being called, but there are numerous things that we can glean from this. One of those things is I, I think we find ourselves in a little bit different context, but in a similar challenge. Again, the disciples and those in Jesus' day, they, their, their struggle was they were looking for freedom from from oppression, freedom from bondage. They, they were looking to, to overthrow government so that they could be the, the rulers and have the power and the authority. They were, they were looking to try to build the life they wanted. And, and, and in a lot of ways, that's the principle that we struggle with today. We're, we're looking for God to do natural things in our lives, and He does. But if we're not careful, and, and it's, a, it's a struggle that a lot of people have in, in their walk with God, and it's why some people uh, make the initial steps to, to become a believer and a, and a born-again believer, but they don't last very long because their desires, they're, they're, looking for, uh, they're, they're looking for earthly things they're they're looking for better houses and better cars and better clothes and better jobs and and a better life and that's not always what we get in our walk with God and so even today the struggle can be the same that we are we're looking for God to establish one thing in our lives but God is looking to establish something else in our lives I don't know at what point those that walked with Jesus finally truly got it. I think perhaps it was after his ascension, after the day of Pentecost. We, we know one, and he didn't physically walk with Jesus, who from a couple of different things that he says, we know that he had a, a grasp on this idea of what the kingdom of God was about, and that's Paul. And he says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, so if I could paraphrase that, it, it's not the tangible things in life. It's, it's not the things that we can touch and see that's about the kingdom of God, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Paul says also in Colossians 1.13, Who hath delivered us? From the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So Paul there is referencing a supernatural thing. 
How, how did we get into the kingdom? We were translated. We, there was a spiritual uh, uh, transaction that takes place for us to enter the kingdom. Very familiar passage for, uh, from, for many of you and a very important passage. Uh, especially in the context of the plan of salvation. And that's, that's found in John chapter 3. And, 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 and there's two different things. It, they sound similar, but there's two different things that are stated here. First, John 3 and 3. And in verse 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. Now, now watch, not, watch what it says here. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the second time is verse number five. And this time, it's Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Those are two, two different things. Jesus is not just repeating in verse five what he said in verse three. And it's not just semantics. Again, verse 5 is, if you're not born again, you can't enter. You can't get into the kingdom. But the first step is verse 3, and that says, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. I, I think we need to, I, I think we all need a, 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 a bit of a, 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 a fresh grasp on that, if you will. Because if we're not careful, and, and we're going to get to the disciples here in a few moments, I promise we're going to get there. But if we're not careful, we can let what we believe be influenced by those who, according to Jesus, can't even see the kingdom. I, I think part of the, the fundamental significance of that is it ties into some things that Paul says. And one of those things is he talks about the, the cross. And the cross to the, to the unsaved is foolishness. And in fact, he talks about that preaching to the unsaved is foolishness. And, and he says that the, that, that the wisdom of God, it's foolishness to those that are not born again. Or in the context of verse 3, those that are not born again so they can't see. They're not seeing clearly. And how often uh, do, do we struggle, do many people struggle with allowing what someone says who can't even see the kingdom to influence and sway those of us who have been born again so we have seen and we've entered. I, I recognize, and, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take deep theological areas or deep theological issues, some of the, the very fundamentals of what we do, the things we involve ourselves in, from a worldly, non-kingdom perspective, they're foolishness, they're crazy. Why would you do that? Why, why, why would you... Go to church multiple times a week. Why would you be involved in ministry other days of the week? Why, why would you teach Bible studies? Why would you tell people about Jesus? Why would you base your faith in crisis 
on the Word of God. And if we're not careful, we can let that get in our minds. But we've got to understand if they haven't been born again, they can't see. They can't even see what we see the way that we see it. I think probably many of us could think about ways in which we have recognized, wow, once I was born again, I, I now see things differently. Obviously, there's an element of faith that has to get a person to the point of even being born again. But it's kind of like those of you who, <laughs> your first time in an apostolic service, especially one of those that was, you know, what we call a blowout, and people are dancing and shouting and running the aisles, and they're talking in tongues and going crazy, and, and you said, man, if I get out of here, I will never be back. These people are crazy. And then and then maybe the next step is, I, I might come back, but I will never act like these people act. And some of you that made that adamant declaration are some of the craziest ones now. Why? Because you entered the kingdom and now you see it differently. Your perception, your, your, your understanding has changed. So Jesus says he's, he's come and it's about the kingdom. The reason he's come is, is the establishing of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And, and, and so back to the, the, the primary uh, focus of, of this lesson, he, he begins from, from the, the earliest part of his ministry to begin to call Disciples. Now we, we talk about the twelve disciples, but but more so that's the twelve apostles, because there were many disciples. There was more than just twelve disciples, and and the word disciple in essence is a taught or a trained one. And really, that word disciple, the word disciple, is it's not in and of itself a religious term. You you can we can be disciples of. You, you can be a disciple of a, of a, um, a certain ideology of uh, home decorating um, or or uh, uh, time management. There may be somebody that you you know you watch videos about or you read their books and you are you are their disciple when it comes to time management. So again, this word disciple in and of itself is not a, a religious spiritual term, but Obviously, it's the term Scripture uses in a very important term, not only then, but to us. John the Baptist had disciples. He had a couple of disciples, and we'll come back to this in a few moments. He had a couple of his disciples from the very beginning that, that transitioned to becoming disciples of Jesus. So again, the, the, I think the more accurate thing for us is not the 12 disciples, it's the 12 apostles, which more often than not, I think when we refer to the 12 disciples, we really are talking about the 12 apostles. One simple example that we know there were other disciples is, is the scenario when, when uh, Jesus had got through teaching some, some things that not everybody wanted to hear, and, and there were disciples that were in the crowd that chose that day to follow Jesus no longer. And that's when he turns to his 12 disciples and says, Will you go also? And 
Peter responds and says, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So an apostle is a special messenger or it is a person who is sent out on a special mission. And so really what we're going to kind of look at this evening is, is the apostles and the stories of the apostles that are in Scripture because uh, we, we don't have the stories of the callings of all 12 apostles. We have, I believe it's seven of them that we get the, the basic scenario in which Jesus called them. John one thirty six says this, this is speaking about John the Baptist, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So John had disciples that he he is encouraging them, and two of them do, in fact, follow Jesus and become Jesus' disciples, because one of these two that is referenced here is Andrew, and he became one of the twelve apostles. I want another lesson to learn from this. They, they weren't being unfaithful to John by leaving John to follow Jesus because John knew that he wasn't the one. He had come to prepare the way for the one. And he recognized that Jesus was now here and, and this was the one he was pointing to. This is the one his ministry was all about. And so he, he sort of, I guess terminology would we would use today he he hands them off to Jesus and then he and in, and and John makes a statement he says he speaking of Jesus he must increase and I must decrease i think this is a great picture of the role that we play in the lives of others not only when it comes to the role of helping people to come to Jesus and be born again initially, but also as, as leaders and ministry, developing others for ministry. We, we, we share in John's role where we reach a point that Jesus needs to increase and we need to decrease. Where, where, where the dependency is not on a person. Where the, where the stability does not continue coming from an individual, but it now becomes more and more from Jesus, from the Word of God, from things that we're able to get from Scripture and our relationship with God directly. Needless to say, that doesn't mean we ever reach the point that we don't need others in our lives, pastors and apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, all of those other areas of ministry to continue equip and develop us. But, but if we're not careful, I think sometimes we can get our identity from a role that we have in somebody's life. And we're not so quick to be willing to decrease so that God and they can increase. But John was very willing to do that because he, he understood his place. He understood his role. And so not only is he, is he, in essence, pointing the entire crowd that was there to hear him to Jesus, he's also directing his disciples and and part of the principle of what John was doing Isaiah 2 and 5 says this O house of Jacob come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord Jesus talks about the spirit of truth would lead us and guide us 
into all truth. And so, so at that particular point in time, these, these disciples of John, that was, that was the light that they had. That was the light that they were in. But now the, the, the light is moving on to Jesus and they've got to keep walking in the light. I want to challenge you this evening that that there's always more light, more understanding for us to walk in in the Word of God. I, I've been preaching since I was 18 years old. That's 30 years now. I, I don't even feel like at times I've scratched the surface of knowing and understanding what there is to know about God. I want the Spirit to continue to lead me and guide me. I want to help others to see more light from the Word of God so that they can progress. In, in Acts 19, talks about Paul, and, and uh, he, came to some, he came to some people, and he begins to talk to them about what's available, and, and their response was, well, we, we haven't heard about the Holy Ghost. All we know about is John's baptism. So Paul tells them about Jesus and tells them about what's available, and the Bible says that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. I want you to notice, again, one of the many lessons we can glean from the overall lesson here this evening. But, but I want you to notice, I would encourage you at some point to read the first few verses of Acts 19. And, and just watch how Paul responded to these people. He didn't degrade them. He didn't belittle them. He, he, he didn't berate them. What do you mean all you know is John's baptism? That's, that's not the right baptism anymore. This is now, he didn't do that. He just, he allowed the light. He helped to shine the light. And when he did that with the right attitude and a right spirit, they responded and they were baptized in Jesus' name. That's, that's about the best we can do in a lot of situations is help to show the light. Ultimately, people got to do like John's disciples did and be willing to move on and progress in, the, in the, the new understanding, the new revelation that God is giving them. So, all of that's kind of the foundation. Let's talk about or let's look at uh, the calling of several of the apostles. We go to John chapter 1, verse number 40. We will see... The calling of Andrew and Peter. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So again, we've said this already, but Andrew was one of John's disciples. And so now Andrew is responding to a call from Jesus or the encouragement also from John to follow Jesus. And so Andrew is becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ and Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. We know later that Jesus says he was a rock. Matthew 4, verse 21, tells us about James and John. And going on from thence, 
he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. So all four of these guys, Jesus calls, and they, they've got to leave behind their comfort zone. They, they've got to leave behind the livelihood that they were used to, and, and that is the livelihood of, of fishing. That was what they had known. That was, that was what they were used to. But there is a call, there is an invitation that has come from Jesus Christ to, to now be a part of something greater. One of, one of the first, uh, I, I think, sort of, I guess I'll say it this way, one of the first divine encounters uh, that, that they had with Jesus in this, this new experience of, of following him and being his disciple is, is found in Luke 5, verse number 4. Jesus had, had uh, he was standing in, in uh, I believe, Simon Peter's boat and speaking to a crowd, and they were using the boat kind of as a platform to speak from. And 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 uh, verse four says, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, "Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught." That's that's a great catch. And Simon answering said unto him, "Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we will let down." the net. I, I think we have here an example of Peter. And I, I know he wasn't born again yet, but but the principle that Jesus talks about, because here is Peter who has been a fisherman. He, he, he fishes for a livelihood. He, he knows when to fish. And, and they had fished all night and had not caught anything. And, and so he has his, his view on things. And Jesus now says, you know, launch back out and, and, and go fishing. And Peter's like, you know, we, we did that all night. We took nothing. I, I think the implication of what he, what he was saying was, you know, we, we tried this all night. We didn't get anything. We're done. But nevertheless, at thy word. Verse number six, when they had done, when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. I, I would sort of imagine, I know the scripture doesn't tell us specifically this, but I would sort of imagine these combination of puzzled uh, looks and, and light bulbs going off in these guys' minds as they, they're going, okay, this is, this is not Norm. He's, he's not a fisherman. He doesn't know what we know about fishing, but uh, he he said if we'd launch out, then we'd get a great catch. And sure enough, we did that. Verse number 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished. And all that were with him, all the draught of the fishes which they had taken, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon and Jesus, said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. One of the other gospels says, he says, I will make you to become fishers of men. That's another one of those lessons for us to learn. 
we, we get saved and we have our we have our natural lives that we're used to living. We we have our careers, we have our our, our, our jobs, we have things in order, but every single one of us, when we're born again, we are given an invitation to become. We don't all become the exact same things, we don't all have the same exact roles of ministry. But like those four guys, we are being given an invitation to become, to become something of eternal significance that has eternal value. Let's look at two other disciples that Jesus called, two of the other apostles. We find that in John 1, verse number 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was at Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Come and see. I, I kind of imagine him saying that with a little bit of a twinkle in his eye. Oh, you just come and see. If you don't think anything good can come out of Nazareth, you just come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathaniel saith unto him, I, I have to just insert, this always kind of intrigues me a little bit. He says, whence knowest thou me? What intrigues me is, does he mean, how do you know me? Or does he mean, yeah, I, that's who I am. I'm a guy with no guile in me. How'd you know? Not sure I really know and not sure it matters. Just food for thought for later. Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. <laughs> look, at the, look at the difference between verse 46 and verse 49. Verse 46, Nathanael is saying, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of of God, you are the king of Israel. And then the last one of the apostles that we can find the specifics of their calling is, is Matthew. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 9. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now the unique thing about Matthew was he this the, the King James here, he was sitting at the receipt of custom. He was a tax collector. But you know, we, we tend to not view the IRS very kindly, but at least the IRS is collecting taxes for our government. But Matthew was not collecting taxes 
for for the Jewish government. He was collecting taxes to give to the Romans. He was not looked on very well. And Jesus finds him and doesn't seem to really care about what he is and what he's doing. And he invites him to come and follow him. I want you to I want you to notice something else about these these men that we've just read. A couple of them it says very clearly, but even if it doesn't say it specifically, the implication is there. There there was no delay. There was no turmoil when given the invitation to come and follow Jesus. There was no him hawing around. Well, you know, we 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 we're fishermen. We've got these boats. We've got this career. We've got this livelihood. And you know, do we really want to give that up? I mean, you're an unknown, Jesus. You, we don't really know if you are yet who you say you are. And how's all this going to go? And do we really want to neglect what we know for the unknown? And, even Matthew, do I want to give up? I mean, it may not be looked on very favorably, but do I want to give up my livelihood? Do I want to give up my comfort to, to take a step into the unknown? They followed him. Again, a couple of places it says it clearly. They, they immediately. And then other places the, the story implies there, there was no... There was no debating. There, there was no negotiating. It was, they recognized, I'm, I'm being called. And perhaps, perhaps it was something in their hearts and their spirits that bore witness with them. It's kind of sad when we're given a sort of a similar invitation to follow Jesus and to become something different and much greater, more, much more significant than what our natural lives have afforded us. And yet we sort of struggle and wrestle if that's what we really want to do. What a great lesson to learn from these men. That when the invitation is given, when the call is given, that we respond. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, verse number 12. Again, as I said Early on, there was more than 12 disciples. There were many disciples, but we talk about the 12 disciples because they had a very significant role. And again, the ultimate significance is they're the 12 apostles. And so let's look at what kind of distinguishes them beyond the other disciples, what sort of marked them beyond the rest. Luke 6 and verse 12. It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. In Mark 3 and 14, there it says that he ordained them. So he takes these 12 men who, who were a part of a bigger group of disciples and, and he selects them and he ordains them, distinguishing them from the rest of the disciples. And hence they are the 12 
apostles. I want you just to notice again another one of the lessons that we can take from all of this. Verse 12 says that he went up into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now, I, I, I remind you, this is Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. And, and really another thing that demonstrates that his humanity was no different than our humanity is, is, is seen in this verse because he, he's about to do something that is extremely significant, uh, very momentous. The, the selecting of these 12 men, the, the calling them out from the rest, the ones that when, when he's going to leave this earth, when he is going to ascend, this is, this is going to be the ones that have got to be the foundation to take this, to be entrusted with carrying on what he had started. And he spent all night in prayer. I think we need to take a, 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 a we need to learn a lesson of, of, of how Jesus, when it comes to a a, a, a significant event, a, a significant decision, a, a momentous uh, season or time, how he approached it. Because we ought to do the same thing. Obviously, we ought to, we're supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to pray every day. We're supposed to be in an attitude, in the spirit of prayer throughout our day, connected to God continually, if you will. There are some times in which we, we need to give beyond sort of the norm. Jesus did it. If Jesus, the Son of God, did it, how much more should you and I consider the need at times in our own lives to, to go beyond our routine? I know I can look back throughout seasons of my life where there were, there were seasons of prayer that were beyond sort of the routine, normal prayer life that I had. As God was either doing in me some very important, significant things, or things that I was involved in and maybe leading that, re that, that needed a, an additional level of focus. Again, if Jesus did that, how much more possibly should you and I do that? He wasn't just calling this group to be this little cloistered clique. He was calling them so that he could send them to carry on what he had started. Luke 9 and 1 says, He called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I want you to notice another thing here, another lesson to glean here. He, he didn't send them out to do things inferior to what he did. You know, hey guys, you've walked with me, I've healed the sick, I've raised the dead, I've, I've cast out devils now. You know, I want you to go and just do the minor stuff. He gave them power, but not just power, he gave them authority. He didn't just give them the ability to do it, 
He gave them the right to do it. He gave them the authority to do it. That's us today as well. He hasn't called us to just come together and form some kind of a club or a clique. But he's called us so that he can then send us and send us fully endued with his power. So we've talked about the ones where we know they were clearly called. So let's just, in summary, the twelve apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James the Less, Thaddeus or Judas, Simon Zelotes, and Judas Iscariot. Those are the twelve apostles. So let's draw one more lesson from this before we close this evening. Most of you know the names fairly well. Peter, James, and John, especially, those were the sort of the inner three. Andrew, we know maybe a little more about. Matthew, as we've talked about, because if nothing else, we know how Jesus called him. But here's what I want you to notice. All 12 of these guys were apostles. There may be a few of them that we know about a little bit more. And then, not only that, but uh, we, we also know that a couple of them were used to write some of the scriptures. Peter, James, John. Out of this group of apostles, it's only a very small percentage that we have epistles in scripture written by them. And again, they were all still apostles. Really, the most significant thing we, we know about Andrew, there's really not a whole lot in biblical history about him, but the thing we know, and we read this earlier, the one thing that we definitely know about Andrew is he was responsible for going to get his brother, Peter. So Peter may have been the one that got the keys to the kingdom. Peter may have been the rock. But uh, Andrew had a pretty significant role in going and getting Peter. I say all that because I, I want to encourage you that we're not here to measure our importance or significance by what others do and what we don't do. Or how God uses some and doesn't use others. Again, this is the twelve apostles. It's not the seven apostles. It's not the three apostles. It, it wasn't twelve disciples and then Peter, James, and John, the three apostles. It was, it was twelve apostles. And, and while a number of these we really don't know anything about other than the fact they're listed as apostles. We don't know any great accomplishments. We, we, we don't read any letters that they wrote, their importance is no less than the rest of the group. I was on a Zoom call with the young adults and we were talking about talents and, and 
And one of the challenges that we have is we measure our talents and abilities by others rather than just being comfortable to be who God has called us to be. I think demonstrated by these 12 apostles is that principle. You may write a letter. You may preach the message on the day of Pentecost that 3,000 people hear and respond to. Or you may not do all of those notable things and yet your place and your role in the kingdom is still important. It's kind of nice to resume a little bit of normalcy here with this topic tonight. So to those of you that have already been a part of Life of Christ, um, and we were doing it on Thursday nights, I pray you've been blessed and your uh, pure minds stirred up this evening to remember the, the, uh, the journey that we've been on. And those of you that are joining have stayed on to watch tonight that you haven't been a part of Life of Christ this go-around. It's my hope and prayer that you have been blessed by this evening. I am really looking forward to the fact that hopefully um, I'm going to be able to see some of you in person, six-plus feet away in your car, but in person on Sunday. And uh, to those of you that are not going to be there for whatever reasons. I anxiously await the next time that I'm able to see you. God bless you. And again, we continue to keep you in our prayers that God has got you in this season that we are in. In Jesus' name.